welcome to the First Intuition Podcast. In this episode, myself and Dave are joined by Louisa Matheson. We talk about artificial intelligence. What is it and the impacts it can have on our work, our study and our leisure time. We recorded the show in front of a live Zoom audience and if you'd like to join a future one, you can register for them. We've put a link in our show notes. Hello and welcome to the FI podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Ben. And today we have a special guest joining us, someone who's a true expert in the world of artificial intelligence. That's right, Dave. Please welcome Louisa Matheson. Thank you, Ben and Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. It's fantastic to have you, Louisa. Now, for all our listeners out there, today's episode is all about artificial intelligence, or as we like to call it, AI. That's right, Dave. AI is not just a buzzword. It's a game changer in the field of accountancy and beyond. So if you're an accountancy student in the UK looking to dive into the world of AI or simply curious about how it's shaping our future, you're in the right place. Our episode tonight is titled AI Helping You Work, Study and Play. We'll be exploring how artificial intelligence is transforming the way we work, how it can supercharge your study sessions, and yes, even how it's making our leisure time more enjoyable. So grab your headphones, get comfortable, and let's dive into the fascinating world of AI with Louisa Matheson. But before we begin, don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss another episode. Let's stop there, Dave, shall we? Let's stop messing about. Um, we, we've never scripted an episode of the First Intuition podcast. Me and Dave usually ad lib it. Dave, would you like to let the listeners into the secret of tonight's first part? Well, in honour of the fact that it's AI nights, uh, I used the popular AI application, ChatGPT, and I went into ChatGPT and asked it to script an episode of the FI podcast for us. And that was the opening introduction of the AI podcast. So, uh, Ben, what, what, do you, what kind of job do you think ChatGPT did for us there? Do you know what? It's, it's really not too bad. I think it, it's covered off the topic. It's done it in a way that I'm reading it, but I can add tone to what it's saying. So I think it was quite engaging in the content. There's just a couple of bits that I think authentically anybody that knows me would be thinking that's probably not what Ben would have said or not phrased quite in the way that Ben would have phrased it. But but on the whole, I think that's a, a really credible start to tonight's show. And I would encourage you, if you're listening to the podcast now, go back and rewind it and listen to it again. But now from the perspective of knowing this was scripted by chat gpt which is artificial intelligence and that's clearly the topic of tonight's episode so dave just quickly i think it might be worth just talking to people about chat gpt we're talking about it presuming everybody knows about it i think it is becoming much more well known and hopefully people will have at least heard of it if not had a chance to have a go with it but quickly what's your um experience of chat gpt what is it well, I know that Louisa will probably be shouting at me if I uh, if I do an inadequate explanation. For me, I, I use it in the way uh, as almost an advanced form of Google. 
So Google, to me, searches the internet for a load of stuff and gives you a load of links. ChatGPT takes things further. It will actually answer the questions that you ask it in a more full way, looking at data from multiple different sources and giving you the best answer that it can appropriate in a manner that you can understand. And if you don't understand it, you can ask it to explain it in different terms or to make it funnier, which I tend to do, or to explain it in UK English rather than American English, or as I like to do, use lots of pop culture references um, in a description. So it's very, very clever in the way that it can help you to find information and get information. I I was speaking to our um, head of finance in our Chelmsford office. So Danny, you know, Danny Ben, and he says he uses ChatGPT all the time. It's the search engine that he uses over anything else. And he uses it to find formulae for Excel. So if he doesn't know how to do something in Excel, he asks his chat GPT and chat GPT comes up with a formula that's prepared, ready for him to use. So it's a very, uh, to me, very, very clever kind of system that allows you to ask questions and have them answered. But I know that our guest here will have a far more detailed view than I have. So I think probably now is the right time, although my chat GPT persona, Ben, did introduce Louisa a moment ago. I'm going to introduce her now in the Ben style and say, good evening, Louisa. Welcome to the podcast. You are classified as a friend of the podcast because you are a returning guest. This is not your first episode. Um, how did Dave do there with ChatGPT? Did he, did he sum it up okay? Did he miss anything that you were, were screaming? Um, no, I thought that was brilliant. I love the um, examples you gave too about how you're using it in different contexts. That's fantastic. I thought it was great. Um, I guess I could add to it that um, something something quite interesting about ChatGPT. So it's a type of generative AI. That's the kind of branch of AI, artificial intelligence, that um, ChatGPT is part of. And all it's actually doing is just predicting the next word. It predicts a word, then it predicts the next word, and it keeps on doing that. And when you break it down like that, it makes you think, actually, okay, maybe it's not so interesting intelligent you know what I mean there's so much that we can give to it and it's important for us to remember that because I think there's so much hype about chat GPT and the other tools out there Bard and so on um you know are they going to take our jobs and all this kind of stuff but there's so much that we bring to the table that it can't do and like Ben you were saying when we got the script for the um introduction it was very scripted wasn't it whereas we can bring the personal touch to it the funny stories the anecdotes are the tone the words we use things like that so we've still got that we must must remember that I think that's very important I'm interested to just explore something Dave said when he was explaining it and, and how his colleague Danny mentioned he uses it as a search engine. I think I've read articles before about how people can almost be aged by where they would go to search information. So I'm old enough to remember a platform called Ask Jeeves, which had the logo of a butler, which kind of introduced me to the world of you could ask the internet things and it would come back with relevant sources. Um, most people would say, I'm sure they have used Google to find out things, whether that's directions like I did when I was in the car with day to day and we needed directions to Braintree Football Club. And I use Google to find the postcode, but you can use it for, for lots of other reference material. I understand people use YouTube to search stuff. My children quite often would use YouTube as a place. If I want to find out something, I'll see if there's a YouTube video. But are we really seeing ChatGPT now as a go to place for a search engine? 
I think it really is becoming that, isn't it? For many, for some people, for sure. And actually, it just reminded me you saying that reminded me of a LinkedIn post that I saw today that I haven't had a chance to follow up on to see um, how much this is really happening. But apparently, with the latest versions of G Chat GPT, you can take a photo of something. So the, the example they gave. So imagine you've got your bike and you want to raise the seat. Imagine it's the kid's bike and you need to raise the seat and you can't quite remember which tool you use and kind of how you go about it, where the lever is and so on. So they showed in the example a photo of said bike seat and then you can put in the prompts, remind me how to raise the seat of the bike and it would provide you with the instructions because, you know, like you were saying, Dave, you get that full response. It gives you that natural language response, doesn't it? Rather than just a load of links to you to have to go and check which website might give you the answer. It gives you that lovely text generated response. So it would talk you through the actions you need to do to be able to raise your kid's bike seat. So that's that feels like a game changer, doesn't it, in terms of the things we do? And I guess YouTube is very helpful for that, too. But you've still got to search to find the right video haven't you for how to change the bike seat for example so so yeah I think it's already started for some people and I guess for some of us who I'm like I'm like you I definitely remember Ask Jeeves so it feels like a bit more of a change for us doesn't it but <laughs> it is it's definitely there for sure. Just another thing that I'm curious of and without being overly technical about it I guess if I use YouTube to search something I get content back but I can see who's uploaded that content Likewise, on Google, if I search something on Google, it will recommend websites that might be able to provide information. But I've got a source in my limited use of ChatGPT so far. I get a response from ChatGPT. Louisa, not to overly make this technical, but what, what is ChatGPT doing when I ask it the question to then give me an answer? Yeah, so that's a great question. So it's something called a large language model. And what that means is it's using a massive corpus of data, so a massive chunk of data, which is a lot of stuff from the internet. So it will include things like Wikipedia, some social media as well, all sorts of different sources. And certainly the free version of ChatGPT isn't going to be absolutely up to date paid for versions might be more up to date but it's something to bear in mind when you're doing a search that you may not get the latest information so if you're using it to find the latest tax code for example or tax law it, it may not be up to date so it's something to remember um but yeah so it's using this huge data set there of all these different websites and it could be skewed towards some of those more than others which is potentially an issue um so it uses those to generate your responses but as you say ben chat gpt does not give you the references that it's used to be generating that text those words that it's strung together to form a, a natural language a text generated phrase or even essay um that's not true of all generative AI websites, though. Some of them actually do give you references, which is really nice. So I think, is it Bing, for example? I know there are some others. I think Chatsonic was one I was introduced to you to the other day that does actually, when you search on something and when you give it a prompt, it, it gives you the text back again and it tells you which sources it's used. So that's then really helpful because you can think about, OK, is that a source I trust? Is that one that I'd want to you know, to be able to rely on so you can go and do a bit more research to check you're happy with that response. Because again, that's that human piece that we need to do with these responses. It doesn't quite totally do our job for us, does it? There's still that next phase for us to do. So Dave, tonight's episode really was your your brainchild. Um, we're starting by talking about ChatGPT, but we've got a wider um, term artificial intelligence of which ChatGPT is an example. Um, what other sorts of artificial intelligence and maybe Louisa can, can help out as well are we aware of out there? 
So I'd actually ask Luita, how would you go about describing what artificial intelligence actually is? Because I think we've got from science fiction movies and books and, you know, where the robots are taking over, we've got an idea of what artificial intelligence is put forward as. But what do we actually mean when we talk about artificial intelligence right now in the real world? Um, So I think to put it simply, it's essentially getting computers to do things which at the moment humans can do better. So that very simply is what it's trying to do, is trying to get computers to do things that, that we do without often without thinking about it too much. And artificial intelligence, is, in terms of the research and all the work that's been done, has been around for a long time, since the 1950s, and even some examples prior to that as well. It's just recently there's been much more hype about it and much more interest. I think particularly it was November last year that ChatGPT was essentially democratized it was made easy for people to access for free so suddenly it was out there i think that's been something of a game changer recently that we can all give these models a go whereas before it was very much people whether they were at universities or in certain businesses who were very much playing around with ai but it wasn't available for everybody whereas now there are so many tools and more really by the day which are becoming available for us to use and also that they can use like such big data sets so they can do so much in the way it was a bit more more of a narrow use case in the past. Um, but just thinking about chat GPT and how that's just part of AI, um, I was talking to someone the other day who gave a fantastic analogy for that to kind of get it to fit into the picture. So I'll put his name out there because it was his analogy. So it was um, a guy called Daniel Clark who... Um, He's a tutor elsewhere, actually, in accounting and things like that. And he gave a great analogy that he said, if you imagine ChatGPT, it's like a very shiny, fancy microwave in your kitchen, but it is just the microwave in the kitchen. And all the different sorts of AI fill the rest of the kitchen. So you've got all your different, you know, different cupboards, your different um, appliances, all there, all different sorts. So I think it's important to remember that the ChatGPT is a type of generative AI, which is one type of AI. And even within that, as I say, ChatGPT is just one type of generative AI. So there are loads of different ones we mentioned, Bing already that Microsoft has got, Bard has got, um, Bard is Google, and there are lots of other ones as well. I mentioned ChatSonic earlier. So that's just within generative AI. And then in terms of other types of AI, there's all sorts. And I guess, you know, you mentioned, um, Dave, didn't you, robots, robotics, that's a really big part, isn't it? And so, you know, we get to see um, the companies that are working on robotics, getting the the robots to do headstands and cartwheels and all these exciting things. So there's all of that going on and there's all the applications for that, for, you know, for um, doctors, for you know, surgeons, for, for operations, for example. Um, and also vision, getting computers to try and see what we can do, for example. Um, so that's just a couple. So there are lots and lots of different ways that AI is being used. So ChatGPT is just a very small part of that. It's just... There's a lot about it right now, and it is free for us to use the the, the, the 3.5 version, as the, as are some other tools that we've talked about as well. So I guess that's part of the, the hype and the bandwagon at the moment is that we can jump on it and give it a go. So ChatGPT is re- sorry, not ChatGPT. Uh, artificial intelligence is where we're using machines to carry out human tasks and. Historically, humans could do it better, but we're now reaching a point where the machines can do things better than humans. Yeah, certainly some tasks, I guess. Yeah, I think I definitely put a caveat that it's still I think it is still quite narrow use cases because there is this term out there of general or generalized artificial intelligence. So the computer that can do lots of things that we can do rather than just one thing. And I think often it's generally quite narrow use cases because if you think about chat GPT, it does give us that lovely text that's generated for us, what we might like us or we might not, but it's certainly done a good attempt at it in general. But that's all it's doing, isn't it? And mm. also with images, actually, I saw a great example um, in a webinar this morning 
um, where somebody put into one of those um, image generators, was it, was it Mid Journey, I think it was, and they'd asked it for a picture of a salmon leaping out of a river. So there's this fantastic picture of a river with a big splash and coming out of the splash was salmon, but it was a piece of salmon rather than a live whole fish, which for me really encapsulates exactly the issue with this technology that it was right. It had given a picture of salmon and it had given a picture of a splash and a picture of a river. But of course, we as humans know all too well that a piece of salmon is something that we'd pop in the oven and cook and eat, whereas a whole salmon is really what you'd see leaping out of the river, isn't it? And that's that context, that domain knowledge that we have and we've built up. So that to me was a great example that it's not really understanding what it's doing. It had quite simply gone and got a picture of a salmon. It just happened to be a piece of salmon rather than a whole live salmon that was jumping, was leaping. Um, so I think that really encapsulates it. And I think, you know, going back to the point about is it taking our jobs? Yes, our jobs will change as we use this more and our personal lives that we've talked about with the search engines and how we use them and things. Um, but as humans, we bring that domain knowledge to it. We bring that context that it does not have. It does the what and we give the why, you know, why that picture works or didn't work because it was the wrong type of salmon. It was a piece of salmon rather than the whole salmon. And in an accounting and finance context, we give that knowledge and that experience that we've got of when something looks right, you know, we can do our checks, it might produce some accounts for us, but actually, are they right? Has it interpreted the accounting standard right? For example, has it done the depreciation calculation correctly? We would do that check. And that's our experience that would help us do that check. I actually, I had a, a test drive in an electric car yesterday. And I, I, I was going along with the the salesman in the car and he was talking about the um the kind of the cruise control system so kind of getting towards self-driving so you've got some kind of ai in the car that's telling the car how to steer how to drive and what speed and he warned me he said don't use the cruise control if you're driving along country roads and i said well, why is that and he said because the cruise control uses the cameras outside the car to monitor where you are on the road and it always stays a set distance away from the edge of the road and if you've ever been down a country road where there are bushes growing out and you've got little potholes in the side, it's constantly swerving backwards and forwards. And he said people just get motion sickness because the car's just swerving all over the place because the rules say you always stay 10 centimetres away from the edge of the road. And on a motorway where it's straight white lines down the road, it's perfectly fine. But on country roads, don't use it because it'll make you feel ill. And I think that's just something where... The, the machine has learned to do something very well, but it doesn't work in all contexts. And so as humans, we still have a job to do because we can still do certain things better than a machine can. Yeah, absolutely. I quite agree. That's a fantastic example. I think, you know, as you were talking about with self-drive cars, why they haven't taken off, why we haven't all got self-drive cars right now. I think that exact, exactly says it, doesn't it? Because, you know, the cruise control works on the motorway, but if we take it a step forward and make it completely self-drive car, so we, in theory, don't have to do anything, you've got to have that perfect motorway like you just talked about, haven't you, where it's always exactly the same distance and there isn't somebody that's pulled in on the hard shoulder because their car's broken down because it couldn't cope with that. Or I've read about examples where... You know, a lot of the training on cars was done initially on in California, for example. So you take a car to somewhere else, you know, go across into a different state like Utah, where they might have loads of snow. And that car and the system might not have yet encountered snow and it doesn't know how to cope with that because suddenly where's the edge of the road when it's all white? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's taking that time for the machines to catch up. But I guess they're getting there and they're improving all the time and, and really quite quickly, aren't they? 
some brilliant perspectives there. And I've picked up on a word they've said now three times, I think, listening back. Um, computers doing it better than humans. And I think it all hinges on that word better and what the perception of better is. And I've been writing down some words. Better for some people might be quicker. And certainly in your example of the picture, Louisa, it was much quicker for <laughs> AI to generate a salmon jumping out of a river than somebody drawing that. But that might mean it was also cheaper potentially, which is something else that might be seen as an advantage. Um, from the car perspective, could it be safer? Well, Dave's advocating maybe sometimes, but maybe not always. Could it be more consistent? Could it do it 24-7? Could it do it more accurately? And I think all of those are contextual, aren't they? And I think where we were coming at from it was, as humans, we've got that higher level of perception to understand what is better in this circumstance than just a, a program that kind of aligns better to one or two limited things that it's been programmed to do. So it really got me thinking as you were saying that. Yeah. And I think following on from that, I'm like, I couldn't agree more because that gets us thinking about when we can use AI when it's appropriate. And there are some cases when it's not yet appropriate, like a fully self-driving car with no human input um, because it's not there. And you need that, like you were saying about what we mean by better, Ben, you need that accuracy you might interpret better as being more accurate than a human driving a car and it's maybe not always accurate enough if it does encounter an obstacle but I think there are plenty of times when for example accuracy doesn't matter so much and we can get a quick response so you know chat GPT it's fantastic we can get it to um, have a go at drafting a client email for us as long as we haven't put any sensitive client data in the in the prompt but, you know, we've got an email, we're not quite sure how to start it, or even a social media post, actually. A colleague recommended that for me the other day, because I often get kind of writer's block when I want to post something on social media, kind of like, how do I start it? And she said, actually, just pop it into, into chat GPT, get it to give you some suggestions. And it gave me a lovely list with nice clear bullet headings of ideas, you know, I can use, which I've now got saved at my desktop so I can quickly refer to it. And I would never copy it direct because that is not quite me in its style, but it's a great starting point. So it does save time there, doesn't it? And in that that particular example I don't need it necessarily to be 100% accurate but for certain things like the driverless car or potentially making accounting decisions and finance decisions like um, I've heard a couple of um, in a couple of businesses recently where they've been um, having a go at doing budgeting and forecasting using AI tools and they got it to work on um, last year's accounts. So they had last year's budget produced by humans, last year's actuals, which they kept to one side. So they got the computer to produce the um, budget based on historic data, how the business had been in, in years gone by. And then they compared it to the actuals for the year and also back to the human budget. Now, which budget do you reckon did quicker for those two examples? It was the AI produced budget. It was actually more accurate than the human budget. Um, so that's really interesting. But I guess as accountants, we need to think about, can we rely on that? You know, is that budget going to be good enough? What assumptions is it made? You know, we need to understand how it's worked, how it's done it. So we need to have that information, don't we? Um, so, yeah, I think that's something for us to think about there. So we've already mentioned a couple of workplace scenarios. Um, Louisa, you've been doing a stellar job for First Intuition, running seminars, workshops, training sessions, building awareness of the, the potential that AI offers us. You were speaking for the ICAW, I know, a couple of weeks ago at quite a, a prestigious conference. Um, are there any other examples that you would like to share with us of things that you're seeing? Because myself and Dave are asked a lot, is this going to replace us 
as an accountant and you've just said it can forecast more accurately potentially than me or Dave could. So what else are you hearing or seeing? Yeah, well, I think there's there's different ways it can be used. So I think going back to like, is it better than a human? I think there's things it can help us do or it, you know, the different AI related tools. They can help us with lots of jobs, which may be not necessarily actually accounting, but things we need to do in our accounting, in our roles as accountants. So, for example, helping us draft client emails could be one. Um, actually, we joked earlier about um, this podcast and how we could have um, you, when we were chatting at the beginning before we started, we talked about how we could have an avatar, didn't we? Who could actually just produce the podcast for us, but we could put into ChatGPT to the subject matter, give it some background information. It could produce a script, and then we could have an avatar produce a video or an audio of the of the recording. Whether it would be as good, you know, going back to the idea of what's better, it probably wouldn't have the anecdotes and the funny stories and the bring the things that bring it to life when we do a podcast, would it? But it could do probably a feasible job. And I do know accountants who are using videos and avatars to produce, for example, policies at work, rather than having everything just written down in a Word or a PDF document. Actually, it's a video, but the video is being created using AI tools rather than having to have someone record each video. So for a new trainee starting, it's fantastic. They can sit down and watch videos or someone can go back to it. Because like just like you were saying earlier, Ben, you know, how do people find information these days? Some people prefer to watch YouTube, don't they, rather than read a document. So if we can have videos there, but if we can find ways to help us make those videos quicker, more easily, then yeah, that's fantastic, isn't there? Um, and then I think also um, more um, accounting specific examples, I think software is updating very quickly and lots of software AI is being brought in either already or very soon. So I think we can kind of, if we can keep up to date with what's changing, we can check out the latest features. Um, so I know um, some accountants and auditors use tools like Data Snipper, which is quite a nice tool that helps to match accounts and um, spreadsheets from different sources to help with like testing, for example, in audits. And it can match the data on different features. So it can match by text or date or invoice number, for example. It can match and match the link the different spreadsheets by the same invoice, for example, using different items, different you know um, tags, for example, whether it's a, say the invoice number or the the date or a bit bit of text about the invoice, for example. And that's using different AI tools to do that. So it's helping us. So to more easily do reconciliations, for example, or to do tests in order and check for where there could be some errors and it can then flag up where there are errors, for example. So there are different ways it could help us in our roles as accountants. So we still need to be there doing those checks, but it can make those bits of our tasks, those routine tasks, it can make them quicker. So I definitely think there's a, a big piece about automating and how AI related tools can help us with automation. And then I think there's that decision making piece where we're offering value to clients or internally by producing a forecast or a budget like we've talked about. So AI can potentially help us do that job and maybe it can do it quicker. But I think that's where we've got to be even more careful about what it's actually doing and how it's doing it, because we want it to be ideally explainable. Because, you know, as accountants and auditors, you know, we're liable for the work we produce, aren't we, that we give to clients. It's got to be We've got to make sure it's, you know, appropriate and accurate and so on. And so I think we need to understand what the tool's doing. And that can be quite tricky, that it can be a black box. We don't necessarily know how it's forecasting. It depends. We need something for us to bear in mind and that's for us to think about going forward, how we use these tools, what's happening in that black box. Can we find out? Because certainly auditors are going to want to know to make sure that it is traceable and, and explainable. I think we've mentioned it a couple of times, haven't we, with regards to helping us draft things. 
And I think using that word draft is, is very important. Um, I did it. I was running a, a leadership and management course last week for some people who work in the, the same practice firm. And I brought up ChatGPT really just to kind of segue into a break when the energy had lulled a bit. And I said, has anybody used it? And a few people said yes. A few people said no. And it was quite interesting to bring it up on the, the screen because I was teaching in the classroom. And I asked for an example. Oh, we, we've missed a client deadline. And we've got to communicate that we need to send an email and we asked it to draft an email explaining and apologizing for a missed deadline and it actually generated some relatively credible content now we all acknowledged we wouldn't have wanted that to be hit send and that now go to said client because there were bits in there that we liked there were bits in there that we didn't like but it gave us a really good structure something you've mentioned louisa it gave us some ideas of things that maybe we hadn't thought to say it that way and then we humanized it and i suppose that's the the, the thing that i'm aware of just to do that review check but as the, the first port of call it was really quick and it got something that was a credible structure Absolutely. And I think it will only get better at that because it partly is as we get better at the prompts we give it when you know you ask for that email to be written explaining about missing the deadline, we can get more you know, sophisticated about how we ask it to do. And if we want it written in a certain tone, you know, is it a professional tone or is it a client you know really well and might need to be a bit more friendly? I don't know. Do you know you can tweak it? Or if it's a personal situation, you could tweak it differently, couldn't you? So I think we'll get better. Well, some people call it prompt engineering, and I think other people call it prompt crafting. We will get better at learning that. And then I think also we, we've talked about the data is it's so key. What data is it using? All that, you know, corpus of material from the web and so on. Well, going forward, there'll be it will be possible and it is already possible for um chat GPT or other tools to be using our own data. So it could be internal data. So it could have read all the emails that have previously been sent to that client. So it could be picking up on tone from previous emails. Do you see what I mean? So it could actually still get more sophisticated again using all those emails. So it might then be an even quicker um, check before that send button is you know sent before it's um, hit and the email goes just to check we are happy with the style. So yeah, so there's there's it's going to be keeping up updating and, and getting better all the time. So we've seen some work examples. We also wanted to talk about it in the context of study because we know a number of the listeners of the podcast are our students. They are studying for their exams. Dave, have you got any thoughts on how ChatGPT or AI in general can be relevant to a study context? There are methods we can use. ChatGPT, we talk about all the time, but ChatGPT, you can use that to help your studies in so many ways. So if you're sitting at home right now and you're studying financial management and you just don't understand cost of capital, you can type in, please explain cost of capital, and it will come up with something. And then you don't understand what they've written. Please make it more simple. And it will break it down into more simple terms. And it talks about something like cost of debt in there. I don't quite get what cost of debt is, so I need to find out more about that explain cost of debt. I don't get it. Make it more simple. Make it even more simple. Use really simple words, please. Please give me an example of cost of debt. So you can go through all the questions that you would ask a tutor through using ChatGPT. You could say, please do a SWOT analysis of Tesco's. And it will do a SWOT analysis of Tesco's. So it can do lots of things for you. But when you, I guess, assess its answer against an exam examiner's answer against a mark guide it's not going to get 100 
because it doesn't quite understand what the exam's asking for. It understands how to explain something to you, but doesn't understand how to play the game with an exam. So it's really good as a tool to help someone understand something. Another hack I've got for people that are studying, you've just, and I'm only talking about management accounting because that's all I love and care about. So you've just studied activity-based costing. You think you've just about got it. You've gone through all of the questions in the first intuition task bank, but you want to do some more questions. Typed into chat GPT, please give me six questions about activity-based costing with answers. And it will give you six questions about activity-based costing with answers. You might look at them and think, these don't really look too much like exam questions because they're all written questions. Please give me six questions about activity-based costing involving numbers and answers. And it will give you numerical questions. It's really good at giving you questions that you can test your knowledge. Now, they're not going to be exam standard questions because ChatGPT may not know about the exam format, but it's going to give you extra things to, to practice to help cement your knowledge. So it really helps from that perspective. Now, what I'd be really interested in is kind of you and Louise's opinion on something that I think could happen. Now, I think if you've got some form of artificial intelligence and you've got some kind of interface. I don't care whether it's a hologram interface that you speak to or something you type in or something you speak to or, or whatever it is. You've got some kind of interface. Now, the AI understands the syllabus that you're being tested on. Now, is there a world, world where I could just switch on the hologram and talk to the hologram for 90 minutes and that's my exam? So the hologram knows the syllabus and it can ask me questions. I will answer those questions in whichever way I see fit. And if the hologram feels I've got the knowledge that meets the pass mark of that particular assessment, can it then say, well done, you passed and shake me holographically by the hand and then I can do my next exam? Could it say, you only know about 40% of the syllabus content that you need to know. This is what you need to go away and learn. You go away and learn those extra things. And it just tests you on those extra bits until you build the competence that it feels that you need to go on to the next level. Could that be the future of our exams? That is a really interesting one. That's I haven't heard that. Um, but I guess I've heard it in, in different guises. I think that's really interesting because I have heard the idea that with exams rather than an essay-based exam, um, that's not in an exam hall that you do at home like coursework it's tricky isn't it because you could be using chat GPT to generate your answer so that's the benefit of a spoken exam an oral exam because you know it's got to be your voice unless you've got your avatar set up there that would be the only thing <laughs> so you've got the avatar speaking to the hologram um, so yeah so you could imagine because then the, the AI system could run on the syllabus couldn't it it could use all the material to know the full syllabus and to be able to ask questions from it I guess some issues that could come from it um, is that with what we talked about being explainable and traceable. So it tells the student they've failed, let's just say, and let's just say they've just very narrowly failed. You might want some information, detail about why it was a fail rather than a pass and what to do next time. When you see why it says that, is it accurate enough? You know, was it right? Or did it make the wrong conclusion? You know, did it test on a tiny bit of syllabus? And, and that was really all of your exam, a very tiny bit of the syllabus that was blown up to be, you know, all of your exam, for example, or was it a fair coverage across the syllabus, I guess. I mean, these are things that presumably could be tweaked with time to come, but it would still need that human doing that checking, wouldn't it, that it is fair and, and transparent and we know how it's testing, we know how it deals with 
where it's a pass or a fail or a narrow pass or a narrow fail that it it really is genuinely being fair so I guess it it might be possible but yeah we, we're going to have some checks and balances that we need in there some standards to make sure it's fair Fascinating concept, Dave. Something I tell the vast majority of my students off for is asking questions back in an exam answer. Because I guess if you're asking a question in an exam, you're not going to get the answer because you're asking a question to a, a, a marker that's never going to meet you, never going to speak to you. Be really interesting how that would form dialogue if it was through an AI. And actually, you could clarify things, you could confirm understanding. Could that be a reason to stall for time if you were clever with words? Maybe the, the exam is limited to 40 minutes and you mess around by asking lots of kind of questions back of the AI. But I suppose that could be regulated. I think for some exams, that would be incredibly credible. I think for the world of audit. So you talked about management accounting for the world of audit. That would be a lovely exam format where you need to be skeptical. You need to ask the right questions, but you need to do it in the right way to, to gather information. Um, really interesting concept. Thanks. And Ben, you mentioned before that you've used ChatGPT in in a classroom scenario. Louise, are you seeing artificial intelligence disrupting the world of education in, in any other way? Um, well, beyond the classroom. But within the classroom. Within, within the classroom. The classroom. Yeah, um, I think probably in the ways that we've discussed, I think, yeah, people have got mixed views on it. Some people are very keen, aren't they? And other people are more cautious and, and understandably, it's something for us to get used to. So I don't think I've seen any other ways right now that it's being used. As somebody that spent many hours, if I added it up on my train journeys into college on a day I'm teaching, frantically writing a 10 question quiz for my class, going over the notes and the stuff that we covered in last week's lesson, I've now used ChatGPT for that. Dave, you hit the nail on the head. You have to also ask it for the answers. You have to give it some specific instructions. But for things like ethical scenarios, I've used it a lot quite recently. Can you give me five accountancy ethical scenarios based in the United Kingdom? So you don't get lots of Americanized stuff that's maybe not as relevant to our students with answers. Or for those short answer direct questions, um, I'm thinking of, of SEMA students, but actually lots of the qualifications now have got those kind of short answer style questions in some of the exams. You can get it to generate loads of those, absolutely loads. And one of the things we observe in the classroom is the more questions you practice, the more prepared you are for the exam. So that's a way when, when students now say to me, Ben, I've done the first intuition question bank twice. What else can I do? Well, actually, I haven't said this yet, but maybe you could go and ask ChatGPT to generate some extra questions for you. Yeah, absolutely. So as you say, that you could generate those different scenarios or I guess for knowledge testing as well, just you know, testing pure knowledge. You could get it to fire some questions back to you, couldn't it? Couldn't you for um, checking your knowledge on certain topics like activity based costing, for example? So something we've all mentioned is asking for as much detail as what's going on um, as possible. If you just ask it one thing, chances are it will misinterpret. Dave, when we caught up earlier today, you were talking me through a, a really nice example to give us some perspective of that. I don't know if you wanted to, to share it with us all on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of moving on to our third strand of today, which is how artificial intelligence may well impact our leisure time and the things that we enjoy doing. And 
when I when I go on holiday, Ben, I like to take a book with me. I don't know if you're a, a big reader on holiday at all. I've I've dabbled, probably not as much as I intended, but um, yes. Now, my my favourite genre of um of novel is the time travel novel. I'm obsessed with all things time travel. I, I firmly believe that any movie, TV, or novel could be improved by the addition of time travel because I, I just love all time travel based stuff. And I've read lots and lots of time travel books, and I was struggling to find another book on time travel. So I thought I'll ask ChatGPT to write me a novel because. You know, it can do most stuff. Why can't it write me a book? So I I gave it some parameters and I said, please write a novel about time travel. And I thought, who do I want the star of of this novel to be? And I said, starring David Malthouse, an accountant from Chelmsford. And I needed to, I thought, I'll give it a bit more context because he's an accountant from Chelmsford. And what I'd like him to do is go back in time. And then when he goes back in time, he interrupts some kind of major financial transaction. He then goes back to his own time, realises that that's caused havoc in the world that he knows and loves. He then is forced to go back in time using his accounting skills to correct the, the transaction that originally went wrong. I thought, what an amazing premise for a story that would be. I typed it in, ChatGPT came up with a series of chapters and a brief overview of what happened in each chapter. Now, first thing is ChatGPT sent me back to like 1890. Now, I didn't want to go back to 1890. I wanted to go back to the late 1960s because I thought there might be a chance that I could bump into Jimi Hendrix. So I then said, I'm going to change a detail of the story. And I said that um, you know, time travel should be in 1967, hit enter, thought that saved it. So then the story that it publishes is David Malthouse is an accountant working in Chelmsford in 1967, and it sent me back to 1890 again. I didn't want to go to 1890. I wanted to be me living in 2023 who went back to 1967. So then I had to tell it, no, David Malthouse is based in Chelmsford in 2023, and he time travels back to 1967, interrupting an important financial transaction that then has massive implications for the future David Morton, who then has to go back in time to put right what went wrong by using his accounting skills. Breathe, hit enter, and it came up with the story that I wanted. But then when I looked at it, to start with, it said David Malthouse was sitting in his office in Chelmsford wearing an immaculate tailored suit and a silk tie. Now, that's not me. If anyone knows me, I don't wear silk ties and I rarely wear a suit. So then I had to explain that I wore different clothes. And then it made me out to be some kind of like flamboyant dandy from the 1930s who was living in 2023, who travelled back to 1967 in order to correct a transaction that he originally interrupted. At least it was better. Um, I then noticed that my kids weren't in it. My wife wasn't in it. I, I was kind of like this kind of this almost Peter Pan like kind of bachelor living in Chelmsford. That's just not me. So I then had to change it and say that I had to you know, add my children. I had to add my wife. So I had to say my wife is called Kelly. My children are called. And I entered all the names of my children. I gave them the ages and I said what my children do and what they love and what they enjoy doing to put that into the story. But I think at that late stage, 
chat GPT got a bit lazy and just said, oh, I'll put them in the last chapter. He lived happily ever after <laughs> with his wife and three children in Chelmsford. So it, it, the whole thing just taught me that you can put something in and it will give you an answer. But the answer isn't always the answer that you're looking for. So if you're asking ChatGPT a question, or I guess any artificial intelligence a question, you've got to have a bit of knowledge about what you're expecting as an output at the end of it. Otherwise, it can give you absolute garbage at the end of it. So my, you know, my just word of warning is if you are going to write a novel or a stage play, um, then make sure that you check what it gives you is the thing that you actually want, because it will give you an answer based on what knowledge it has. I suppose that the message there is you need to know what you want. You need to then check the output. And actually, a lot of what you were saying when you said it to me earlier in a coffee shop in Chelmsford resonated with a skill session we run on delegation. And effectively, what you were doing was delegating the task of writing the novel to the artificial intelligence. And just like we would say, if you're delegating it to a person, you need to be quite specific in what you need, how you need it, when you need it by. Actually, you need to harness those delegation skills when you're asking artificial intelligence to do something that you're not going to be ultimately doing yourself. Absolutely. And this is something that we're seeing a real threat to screenwriters' jobs, to scriptwriters' jobs, to novelists, to songwriters, through artificial intelligence being a very cheap way to replace the things that they do. And Louisa, I don't know, have you seen kind of much of that out there? Well, it, yeah, there's certainly been um, a few few examples, haven't there? We were talking about music earlier, and, and then there's also Hollywood, if you look at all the strikes um, with some of the, the actors and screenwriters and so on. And part of it has been that concern about how AI could be being used to take some of their jobs, for sure. So, yeah, I think it's definitely um, coming up in all sorts of ways. And I know you had some great examples from the world of music, didn't you, Dave? Absolutely. My favourite, one of my favourite artists of all time is Nick Cave. And I just think that everything he writes is amazing. And I just love his music. But he um, he got quite angry, I think, at people using ChatGPT to write songs in the style of Nick Cave and saying that I would never write anything like that. Now, I looked at them and thought, to be fair, it's not far off the kind of things that he would write. But he's made a pretty good stab of, of an impression of Nick Cave. We also saw that the, the Beatles have released their last ever track where they've been able to take the vocal that John Lennon laid down in a demo and they've been able to use AI to create the sound of the Beatles around it. And admitted they've used Ringo Starr's drumming and they've used Paul, McCart Paul McCartney playing guitar and I think a bit of George Harrison playing in there as well. And they, they brought it all together to create this version of a song that was just a fragment of a song that was recorded kind of 40 plus, well, 50 plus years ago now. We saw, um, was it Drake and The Weeknd had, had a song that was artificial intelligence put together that was supposed to be those two singing. And I think it actually had a huge number of streams before it was revealed that this was actually an AI generated song and it was removed from streaming platforms. But that to me is quite scary because, or is it scary? Because, you know, you might have a song that you love you know, you might ha have a song that is your favourite song ever and you might think, well, I wonder what that would sound like if David Bowie sang it. And you could say, you know, can I have Walk on the Wild Side sung by David Bowie? I mean, that would be amazing to me. You know, Lou Reed, my favorite, one of my favourite songwriters, you know, being sung by David Bowie, that would be amazing. And, you know, we can get AI to do stuff like that. 
So just crazy. But then should we do it? And, you know, artistically, who owns those rights? Is it right that we should do it? There's so many ethical questions that we ask ourselves when we start using machines to create art for us. Absolutely. And how we engage with the world around us and know what is actually created by a human and mm. what has been created by AI, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's a film, whether it's a book, it is a whole new world that we're, we're feeling our way through that world right now, aren't we? And I'm, I'm almost feeling a potential exam scenario coming on. In the world of accountancy exams, we talk lots about ethics. We talk lots about money. Who's earning the money from that song, Dave? Who owns the rights to that song? I'm also really interested, Louisa, you started by saying we're becoming more familiar with it because to us as the user, chat GPT is free. Now, maybe I'm getting older in my years, but I would be saying to my children, nothing in life is free or very rarely things are free. There will be some form of cost. Maybe we're not going to explore that on the podcast this week, but it would be a really interesting one maybe to come back out and look at the financing of this artificial intelligence and who actually is making money out of it? Because I think we we all know there's always somebody that wants to make money on the back of stuff, whether that's for good or for bad. So there's lots of aspects that really would link in very nicely. And I could see that popping up in a, a business strategy exam in the, the very near future, actually. I'm just imagining after the, the ABBA shows in London, where they had avatars singing ABBA songs. I'm just wondering how long it is before we start seeing pop stars from the past being resurrected, performing live and just performing any songs you want them to. You know, you could have your own avatars of the Beatles in your front room playing any songs that you want them to, whether they're Beatles songs or or whether they're playing like Jay-Z songs. That would be pretty amazing, actually, to see what John Lennon made of 99 Problems. It would be totally amazing, wouldn't it? And I guess the flip side is then would we want to go to the to the live show, for example, where it's a live artist singing their songs. Um, but we still need that human touch and that human contact, don't we? And I think we wouldn't get that from having the avatar in our room. It's fantastic and we will do it. I'm sure it'd be great fun, but I'm sure we're still going to want to have the live singer on the stage where everyone crowds in and everyone's together and it's a fantastic atmosphere. So I, I think there's room for both in, in the future world. I'd really hope so, because otherwise you're in a in a world where everything is recycling things that have happened in the past and there's nothing new that's being created, which I think would be very sad. And I think there is a lot to be said for seeing live music and particularly that contrast between stuff that is amazing, but also sometimes seeing some absolute stinkers and realising that they have completely messed that up, but still being able to talk about that. I think there's a, a, you know, otherwise we're just listening to AI's pitch perfect version of what they think a, a song should sound like. I'm conscious that we are up against time. I was just going to finish with one other aspect we've not talked about, the aspect of, of sport and games, because actually it's been around for quite a while. I was thinking about it and thinking, do you know what? I used to play chess against the computer all the time, and very rarely did I ever beat the computer and I remember a big thing when I was growing up that they'd got a, a, a chess computer that beat uh, a grandmaster and that was a big thing somebody that was really technically a brilliant chess player would lose to a computer the majority of the time where would the world of sport be with with AI Derby County could win the premiership Dave <laughs> if it had artificial <laughs> intelligence but then 
which other clubs also going to have AI that beats it? And, and that's something, the competition between AI is another scary thought. I'm, I'm probably going to finish there, but um, if we've got two competing AIs, which one's going to win? Well, what, what would AI be doing for Derby County? In reality, AI would be maybe looking and tracking players' movements, looking at the health of those players, looking at the optimal fitness plan for those players, tactically looking at what those players do best, what those players do worst, making sure they're playing in a system that makes the most of their strengths and means that their weaknesses don't leave them exposed. But it's not going to make them better players than the players Man City have got right now. A bit of AI may enhance performance for those individuals and may help to determine tactics, but it's not going to take out the element of just natural ability that people have and also the synergies that certain players have got together. Now, we've seen at, at Man City, Kevin De Bruyne, he just seems to gel with every single player. He's one of those people that is just such a fabulous player. It doesn't matter who he's playing with. He instantly forms a bond with them. There is no one like that at Derby County at all that even comes close to that ability to be able to link up and perform with other players so there are other things that i think are outside of the realm of of artificial intelligence but i can see artificial intelligence enhancing the performance of athletes regardless of what sport or what competition you play in you know for fitness conditioning avoiding injury avoiding illness ensuring that people are competing in the sport that's best suited to them you know so if you of being monitoring an athlete, that athlete may be physiologically predisposed to being excellent at rowing. Let's get them in a boat rather than you know cycling or rather than running, because that's what the AI is telling us. That's where they would be best suited. So I think we could see improved performance, improved human performance in sport through using AI. I, I think it's almost certainly happening now. As I say, we're conscious of time, Louisa. I'm going to say thank you for joining us. I think this session has been absolutely brilliant and I, I fear we could talk for another hour and still have more content to talk about. So I hope we'll have you back in the very near future to do uh, an, another follow-up. And I guess this stuff is worth following up on pretty regularly because it is developing at such a pace that even if we kind of didn't cover this for six months, there would be loads of new stuff that you will have seen, you will have experienced that, that our listeners really need to be made aware of. So thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you to you both. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great fun. Yeah, and I think, as you say, it'd be really great to follow up and see see where we've got to in six months and then a year with all these different threads that we've started on tonight and no doubt some new threads that we'll have to talk about in six months' time too. Dave, it was it was your idea for tonight's episode. I think it's been a belter. I'm going to leave you to do the, the close down for this evening. Thank you very much, Ben. Again, thank you for me, Louisa. It's been an absolute pleasure to have this discussion. I've got a list of about 10 things that I still need to talk about. So I'm sure... <laughs> We will revisit this in one form or, or another over the next six months or so. Thank you to everyone that's listening. Thank you to those of you that have downloaded. It's always great to see our download figures. Um, I think, Ben, we hit 40,000 downloads of the FI podcast over the last week or so. So we really appreciate everyone doing that. Um, if you can leave us a review, five stars would be amazing. Um, leave some words uh, as well, words of encouragement or any feedback that you've got, please leave it on whatever um, podcast service you use. Um, we will see you next week, but stay safe and keep studying. And we'll see you next week for the First Intuition Podcast. Bye.